Five Rings Podcast, World Cup Edition, with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. Now, without further ado, here's Dwayne Rollins. And welcome to a cross-posted edition of the Two Solitudes and Five Rings Podcast. We don't do this often, but it is a holiday. It is Canada Day. Uh, we do a lot of podcasting, and we're going to do a lot of podcasting tomorrow. We're going to do uh, regular Two Solitudes where we break down the MLS stuff and and uh, talk about just the second half of the season in Major League Soccer. And uh, we're going to do a regular Five Rings where we break down amateur stuff. Great Wimbledon Day for Canada, but we'll talk about that on Five Rings tomorrow. Uh, but this is a podcast that we're going to do over both platforms to talk about the U.S. result and the Argentine result from today, and we're going to set up the quarterfinals of the World Cup. But before we get into all that, I'll say hello to my partner in crime in Montreal. How you doing, Kev? Um, I'm all right. I'm just a little bit disappointed. I kind of like uh, took the U.S., not a bandwagon, but I've been cheering for a little while, but this season I was at TSN 690 Radio Ambassador for the US, U.S. Men's National Team in the World Cup, so I kind of took that team a little to heart. And today, even though they got battered, you could say, they hold on, and Julian Green, out of nowhere, gave hope, and that hope got crushed by countless and countless Courtois saves. Oh, I'm a little bit bummed, to be honest. Yeah, you know, both goalkeepers had to, had a great performance. Obviously, we'll talk about Tim Howard in more detail in a minute. It was a performance for the ages. Uh, broke a, a record from, um, well, I shouldn't say it's a record, but it was the most saves by a keeper in a World Cup finals game since 1966. And you can spin that in two ways. You can talk about that as a positive for Tim Howard, and you can talk about that as a negative for the U.S. national team, allowing that to happen, and we'll get into both sides of that. Um, well, might as well do that now, Kevin. I mean, talk about Tim Howard. You, you, you're the ambassador. Mm-hmm. Uh, you tell us why it's a good thing. Why, why, why U.S. fans should be excited by Tim Howard's performance today. Well, Tim Howard made a difference between uh, not even being able to deserve a spot the round of 16 and competing still for a result at the end of a classic game. Uh, Tim Howard literally not just controlled the back line and stopped the shots and gave passion and emotion to the team. He basically played like there was two keepers. He stopped things that I didn't think he would get there. Uh, he he fumbled on attempts but recovered just in time to save it. it uh, on the one lob that almost went in, it looked like he mistimed his jumps. And uh, after looking at it, he's like, no, actually, he took effect to win and everything and he timed it perfectly. Oh, what a, what, what was it, 38 attempts on goal? I think that... Uh, yeah, 38 attempts on goal. Uh, which is an outrageous number. Now that's the, of course, that's an 120 minute game, but, uh, you know, even in regular time, I think I took a quick peek at the stats. I haven't dwelled into them much further, or much further beyond that. And it was like around 28 or 29 at the end of regular time. Um, so it certainly just was being battered. Oh yeah. But it was still, uh, great to see him do those stuff. But if it wasn't for him, uh, the U.S. would have been outclassed. We saw the difference watching the center backs for Major League Soccer and playing for U.S. and the midfield and the striker for Everton and Premier League, Lukaku and Hazard. At the end of the day, that's when Lukaku came on on overtime and extra time. Oh, you saw the difference. And it's a shame that it went up to that. Yeah, the, Lukaku was an absolute key in this. And he's been a, he's been having an egg and injury all tournament long. And uh, it really today, I think it showed that he he's 
back, or at least ready to go. I played 30 minutes today. was absolutely a difference in the end. It was well, He didn't score the first goal, but I think he created it with his just power. Obviously, he got the second goal with a good touch. looks like he's back in it. And that could spell danger for Argentina because we'll talk about them um, after we finish breaking the U.S. down. But um, if he's back to full strength, then uh, Belgium might have a chance to uh, to rise up and be that dark horse that everyone expected them to be. But, but moving aside from that today, I thought... It was interesting, and let's talk a bit about tactics now, because there's. I was just reading um, online before I came on here, a lot of Americans, that are informed Americans, are concerned about Klinsman's tactics today. They felt that the, the way the team lined up and the way the team played did not provide them with a true opportunity to win, and if it wasn't for Howard's brilliance, you know, they could have been at the end of a really embarrassing sideways score. Oh, yeah, it's true, but they probably played the way they thought they had a chance to hold on for dear life. And that's what happened. It worked for 90 minutes and plus. And if it wasn't for, I have to say, on the actual first goal for Belgium, it was, was it a foul? Was it a foul on Jones before uh, the guy broke off and ran, made it run to the net? Well, I it mean. It did look like one. I Half a dozen, one sixty the other, I'm going to say. And, and obviously, uh, American might make that claim. Um but I could make the encounter, then it might have just been good body position. What I'll say to that, though, is we saw today, in the two games today, we saw two teams that played a similar style that just tried to hold on for long, long stretches, and in both cases it failed. Sure. It's hard to defend that long and that heat um, and successfully do it to get it to penalties. Was that what the U.S. was trying to do? Were they trying to get it to penalties? Really? Did they not have more confidence that I believe we will win? Did they not actually believe they would win? Did they believe that they would win on penalties? Well, maybe they, they would the way Howard was keeping, I would have liked to see it a penalty. He would probably stop one or two. You never know. But before that, and over an extra time, after two goals for, uh, for Belgium, uh, on Twitter, people were like, oh, they're conceding the game. That's what they're putting Julian Green. Then we saw a moment of billions for the United States that gave back hope. And then, out of a sudden, Dwayne, the U.S. had energy to die for. They dominated Belgium and it came close, I have to tell you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, Julian Green was a surprise when I saw him come on. I kind of giggled to myself. Yeah. Uh, that said, you know, it was a brilliant finish. It was a very nice uh, half volley there that he did there in the score. But that's not under, that's, that's not ignore the ball in for Michael Bradley, mm-hmm. who played maybe his best football of the tournament in the last 15 minutes of the game today. Uh, it was him that sent, uh, Dempsey in alone near the end too, that, uh, that they had to, you know, that could have, the U.S. could have drawn it even at that point too. And it would have been completely, you know, to speak as a Belgian person for a second, it would have been completely unfair if the U.S. managed to pull it out. It would have played to the narrative of the never give up heart and soul type stuff. But, you know, again, I, I don't want to belabor this, but they allowed 38 attempts. Third, you can't do that and expect to win games consistently at this level. And even though they were competitive in this, and I saw some quotes after, Michael Bradley made a quote about how this team, quote, unquote, and forgive me for this, uh, proved that they had balls again, is what he said after the game. Well, no, it proved that you had a good keeper, Michael, and that's really a different thing. The heart and soul and all that, that's all nice, but it's not going to solve and it's not going to close the gap. To me, this was an illustration with the amount of pressure that Belgium had all game. Yes, it's a it's an illustration how the U.S. can find tactically a way to compete, can, can stay in games, can hold on for dear life and, and bunker up real well, but it doesn't, it shows also a gap in high-end technical talent and that was the biggest uh, biggest thing today yeah you're right the keeper made the big difference between the two that's why they were tied for so long and you're right talent race like we say cream rise to the top at the end right yeah absolutely and look you were talking about the you know those technical positions like the center backs and the 
Jeff Cameron's getting hammered by Americans right now, and I, I actually I just looked at his who scored rankings, and he actually was ranked the second highest player in the team, which probably is the weakness of advanced stats because I suspect that his numbers are inflated because he was making so many clearances and things like that yep, just for desperation. Probably. Oh, probably, and probably last fifteen minutes too when he was uh, crossing for all for his dear life. Yeah, I, you know you have to be careful with that thing, but that that's your difference. It's the technicalness of these things. Could Bel- we should talk about Belgium, though, because I thought that they didn't look impressive for a lot of the tournament, but other than the finishing, which obviously is a problem when you have that many shots and you're not scoring, although Tim Howard's, you know, we don't want to belabor this anymore, but some of those point blanks, they were in alone on the keeper twice. you got to finish those. Yeah, but, but some of those looks, though, they were more complicated than they actually looked. Uh, always a defender on the backside that came last second to block the shot or deflect it. Uh, even though the defenders got beat at the end, for 70 minutes, they had the better of Belgium. Yeah, but that said, I think Belgium deserves a lot of credit. And if you want to look at them from that perspective, are they ready to break through? Is Lukaku better? Um, we, we're going to move and talk about Argentina in a minute here. You know, can they shut them down, the Messi Express train down, and get through to a semifinal? I'd have to say at this point in time, it's about 50-50. Just talk, Kevin, your perspective on Belgium real quick. Uh Lukaku impressed me when he came on at the end. The amount of energy he had compared to the other players probably is the reason why he stood out so much. Uh, so I still take it with a grain of salt. I want to see him maybe play a little longer to see the type of effect he has on the long run because that's what uh, the Belgium might need for the Argentina game. They might need Lukaku more as a starter than uh, uh sub at the late game because they'll need a very high-pressure, high pace continuous game against Argentina, Argentina will be able to absorb that pressure. And on the counter, they'll probably won't miss the opportunity that Wando and that uh, Dempsey missed. Dempsey uh, he counted like five on one hand. The, the Wondolowski miss was, yeah. was epic. I mean, that it's, it's, that's, there's no other way to put it. They, he absolutely should have scored there. And there's going to be a lot of people that question that. And, you know, we could bring up a name who wasn't available for the U.S. today that, that <laughs> might be able to put that away. But... Uh, <laughs> It was an epic miss nonetheless. Um, tomorrow on the uh, Two Solitudes podcast, we're going to have a conversation about what the overall World Cup means for American soccer, and we'll spin that back in and talk about the crossover, the trickle-up effect it might have on Canadian soccer. We'll have a bit of a deeper look about it in our middle segment tomorrow, but I think for now we're going to just leave it on the game, and we'll move on, and Kevin, and uh, talk about the Argentina-Switzerland game, which... Uh, was an interesting, if at times boring, contest to start our morning. Um, did the you last, manage- Yeah, I, I watched it all, but uh, dozing off, like Twitter was more appealing to me during that game. And my t- computer was opening, and I was looking at our numbers and our uh, iTunes. And just because the sheer amount of, like the first 75 minutes of the game were a little dull. And then overtime happened. Extra time. I keep on calling overtime. Extra time. And... Then the game finally came to life, and was it for a missed free kick at the very last second of extra time? Switzerland could have pulled it off, and it would have been less surprising for Switzerland to win than the U.S., I think, against Belgium. But Switzerland probably played better than the U.S. did against Belgium, but uh, Switzerland still at the end, uh, cream rose to the top. Yeah, they, they played 120 minutes of football, 124 minutes of football, I, I guess. There was a three-minute celebration in there at one point. Um, to basically crank it up for, what, six, seven minutes? <laughs> it was kind of absurd that way. Uh, I'll fully admit, I, I was I watched the whole game start to finish, but as were you, I, I spent more time on the hockey blog pension plan puppets today 
<laughs> then I was really it became so boring. It, for those that don't know uh, outside of Canada, today is the yeah. best analogy would be like transfer deadline day, only it's the opening of the transfer deadline, and that's when all the action takes place. Oh, anyway, there was a bunch. And there of was a lot of action today, to be honest. So I, I was following the hockey news along on Twitter and then on the blogs uh, when I was doing it. And then a shout out to Adam Wallace if you're if you're a Leaf fan and you don't know this guy by yet, he's you know, it's all you need. You should listen to him because he's he's hilarious and his uh his passion will say so. <laughs> so follow at MLSE. He's not affiliated with the team. Trust me. Um. Anyway, <laughs> moving off the to topic there. That said, you know what that goal. Yeah. That was messy again. Like, he didn't score that goal, but his run, his ability, his balance to stay on his feet. People constantly criticize. We talked about this yesterday. Players for falling, for diving, for all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. The one thing Messi, who is, I don't know if he's the world's greatest player. There's a debate for there, but he is the world's greatest finisher in my mind. He wasn't getting, he doesn't get enough credit for not going down easy. And he doesn't go down easy. He doesn't dive. There's a great YouTube video out there if you ever want to look for it. A Messi just getting hacked to death and never leaving his feet, continuing on with the ball. And he showed absolutely why you should as an attacker, why you should aspire to stay on your feet because, because he, he was fouled and he kept running past the Swiss uh, defender and got that perfect ball off and boom. But you know what impressed me with that goal twin? It's, he waited to cross, but there was like an instant. You know, when you're running with the ball, there's a perfect timing to pass. Then it gets too late. But then he waited long enough that it became perfect timing again. And that's when he laid the pass with a perfect weight and just an easy finish for Di Maria. Uh, just a little curling, not even to the corner. It was a safe curl, just the keeper was so committed to Messi back then because he waited so long that, ah, uh, it was just, it's a thinker's goal. It's a finish that he had time to think running 100 miles an hour on a pitch that it's 30-something degrees. And as I've said before, it is quietly, and it's an odd thing to say, but it is quietly becoming Messi's World Cup with all the focus on Neymar, with all the focus on other big stars. The the world's biggest star in a lot of ways was kind of forgotten heading into this World Cup, and he just keeps performing game in, game out, and at key times. This is the second time that Messi has in the dying moments of a game, done something spectacular to win. And I think that we we all should take a moment and, and reflect on that. And that's why, even though Argentina, on the whole, has not looked spectacular at any point, I'll be the first to admit, they remain my pick to win this tournament. Yeah, I think you're right. And it's a, one of the first time in a long time that Messi's not in the first spotlight, um, even though he's shining. He still doesn't grab the headlines that he's always had. And maybe he has a beneficial uh, element to his play. Because slowly he's building something uh, not too flashy but efficient. And usually you don't have the two together. So it's it's a good um, – like you say, Argentina is slowly creeping up on me. And I thought they were choking in the group stage. And with today, I think I'm reassured going forward. And as for the Swiss, um, you know what? They did compete, but I think that's, I think we said this yesterday as well. This is, I think Switzerland's level is where we saw them today. That, and there's nothing wrong. There's nothing shameful about this being your level, but to just have that moment of brilliance that you can pull out at the end. And, and, you know, in fairness, they did at the post after Messi yeah. scored, but, uh, they just, they're just that little bit and they were trying to hold on for too long. And I thought tactically that was a bit of a mistake that they kind of, shifted into let's get this to penalty mode a little too early in that game in my mind. I agree, Dwayne, but what would you want them to do instead? It's it's like the U.S. against Belgium. They have to play that way, otherwise they'll get destroyed, right? I was thinking this at the end of the game, and I'll I'll leave this as, as an open thought and an open debate right now, but 
you know, a lot of these teams, they, they do. They get, you know, 10 minutes away from penalties and they start thinking, okay, we've got to tighten this up. We've got to play conservatively so that we can get this penalty shootout because that's our best chance of winning. I somehow think, and I think we saw this after Argentina sort of sat back and relaxed after they scored, when Switzerland was pushing everything forward, they damn near came close to scoring. To me, if you're going to play tactically that defensively, I would open it up in the last five minutes and, and take that as your risk to try and find that goal because you're going to catch the other team off guard if they're not expecting you to open it up. And I just think you could almost instantly win a game. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. penalty shootout truly is a crapshoot at the end. I mean, there's a skill involved, obviously, but there really is a lot of luck involved as well. I, I just like the idea of, like, if you're going to hold back, fine, but, like, open it up at the end and try and capture it in the dying moments. And uh, I think that that might have been a better tactic for Switzerland because once they started to go forward, they almost scored. Okay. It was, it was, I was wondering to myself, they should have done that 40 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Right. Um, okay, it's Canada Day, folks, uh, so happy Canada Day to everyone out there. Happy moving day for our correct listeners. <laughs> I'm not moving this year Enough again. That joke. Anyway, uh, let's, go, <laughs> let's go through the uh, the quarterfinals really quick and uh, just give a, a pick on those, and uh, we'll we'll wrap it up there. And like I said, tomorrow we're going to do uh, – we're going to have podcast Wednesday. It's Wednesday tomorrow, mm-hmm. right? Uh, podcast Wednesday. There's no games for us to watch, so we might as well podcast all day. We're going to do a two solitudes podcast where we break down the MLS play, and we're going to talk about you know the overall American performance from a deeper sort of philosophical level, and then we'll have the MLS we can review. Uh, we're going to do a two solid five rings where we talk about amateur sport issues, might touch on Wimbledon things like that, mm-hmm. and yeah. yeah, that's all we're going to do because this is five daily right now. But uh, let's do our predictions for the quarterfinals really quick. The, the games are clustered over two days. You got in the first day, you got France and Germany, you got Brazil and Colombia. What game are you most looking forward to, and who do you have winning those games, Kevin? France, Germany, Le Bleu against Diamantschaft is the game I'm really looking forward to. Shout out to John Eden, who I was with yesterday watching the Germany game uh, from Ottawa from uh, the Hours is the Fury podcast. Uh, we had a blast. Germany did not look good, so for that, I think France... Might have found a new starter with Griezmann starting with Benzema be next game. And France, maybe, will be able to finish those opportunities that Algeria didn't finish and might take the lead over Germany and might even win that game. On the other game, Brazil, you know, Colombia's looking good and everything. But there's always, in the mental aspect of South American team, Brazil is the father. It's the god. It's the model. And it's hard to slay the giant, especially at home in a World Cup. So I predict Brazil. Yeah, uh, you know, since we're talking about hockey in this show, it's kind of like the U.S. trying to beat Canada in the Olympics in 2010. Did anyone really think they were going to? You know, it's hard to think it, even if they look good at times. Um, I do. I'm looking forward to Brazil, Colombia. I mean, we saw how Brazil, Chile looked, how exciting, how the atmosphere was, the intensity of it. I think that it's going to be another spectacle like that. Uh, you have a great team in Colombia that is a worthy opponent. If they can pull it off, then, you know, if they can pull this off, then really, I don't know why you, why you don't dream for it all at that point if Colombia gets by this. But, uh, as you say, you're probably gonna, I, I did pick Colombia to pull this upset earlier, so I'm not gonna back off that, but it's gonna be a big test. In terms of the other game, yeah, I have to agree with you there too. Germany hasn't looked that great throughout this tournament. They are the Germans. But the French have a lot of characteristic with the Germans over the past few World Cups. They just find a way to win, and but not quite win at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we might be seeing that again with France. Uh, maybe another finalist uh, might be in the might be in the cards. I don't know. Uh, they've certainly gone deep enough. And uh, as much as there's been uh, so many upsets in this, we are looking at uh, the France playing Germany, and that's a pretty typical quarterfinal that we'd see in any World Cup. So, uh, and you know what's the word yet today? 
Ribéry just took the plane Brazil bound. Oh, yeah? So whatever that's worth. If he's going to play or just be there or whatever. Whatever that's mm-hmm. worth. That just happened. That is interesting. Uh, day two. Uh, we'll break it down quickly. We had Argentina-Belgium, the games that we saw today. Uh, I think we talked a little bit about that already. But, um, you know, I give Belgium a chance, but Argentina remains my pick because of the messy factor. And I have to agree with you. Uh, Belgium has a tendency to be over-aggressive. It happened to them a red card in the group stage. It could have happened today with Fellaini having a lot of hard tackles. And I think against Argentina, a team that uh, doesn't have a pride of staying on their two feet, but does flop more easily than the U.S. could, uh, Belgium can go to down to 10 and can go into troubles in that game. And Cinderella is in the final matchup of the quarterfinal stage. The Costa Rica, of course, playing the Netherlands. Um, you know, it is hard to argue uh, logically that the Netherlands will lose this game, other than the fact that the Netherlands does tend to occasionally lose games they're not supposed to lose. But still, that said, I think based on the overall play and based on Costa Rica's long run, they should be very proud of this quarterfinal appearance, but anything they get from here would be gravy. I picked the Ticos to shock Netherlands. And you're going to ask me why? I'll tell you why. Mexico almost pulled it off. It wasn't for a reckless play of Rafa Marquez. And six minutes of cooling break, which in the mind of Mexico, when it was the 88th minute, they thought it was almost over. But in reality, it was the 82nd minute. And they got beat. It won't happen. Costa Rica might pull it off. And I think the Ticos might have a 2-1 inside them. I'll tell you what, this. Here's a daring prediction. If Costa Rica gets, gets by this game, they're going to win the third place game. <laughs> I, I love the third place game. Everyone makes fun of the third place game, but th- there's usually, if you look back at the past few histories, the third place game often provides a very entertaining contest because both teams are playing very loose, and it can often be kind of exciting. And for a team, and the reason I make that prediction is because if Costa Rica gets to a semifinal, they're going to care about a third place game more than any other team they play. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's something to watch out for. And I, I will look forward to third place game. I will watch it with great interest from Saturday. Only eight games left in this World Cup, though. It's gone by so fast. Only eight more games, so we should relish them all. We should enjoy them all. We should rest up over our next two ga- days, get out to the beach, get enjoy time with your kids if you have kids, uh, walk your dog, enjoy the sunshine, because you're going to hole up inside in front of your HD TV to watch every second of these last eight games, because they, you're not going to get them again for four more years. Right. Kevin, say goodbye. All right, guys. Tomorrow, it's going to be podcast with two saltos and five rings, regular editions. Until then, have a great World Cup. Hi, this is Dwayne Rollins of the Two Solitudes Podcast. Uh, doing this podcast, it's a labor of love for Kevin and I, but it's not a free labor of love. There are costs associated with doing it, costs with our time, with hosting, with so on and so forth. As such, for this month only, we're doing a fundraiser to try and raise a little bit of money to keep this podcast going and, and improve it to maybe two times a week permanently. If you'd like to help us with that, you can do so the following ways. You can send an EMT transfer to csndonation at gmail.com. You can support us through PayPal at dgrollins at gmail.com. That's com. That's D-G-R-O-L-L-I-N-S. Thank you, and we really appreciate it.